Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I am Ben. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. However, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very special episode of the show because we are honored to have a returning special guest, uh, a close friend of ours, a close friend of the show, writer and host for How Stuff Works, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Forward Thinking, Brain Stuff. I could go on, but I won't in the interest of time. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe McCormick. Hey, everybody. It is fun to be back. I think the last time I was on this show, we were talking about shills on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We got we got deep on that subject. <laughs> we shot some fun things for video. If you uh-huh. have not seen that video, check it out, please. And that's one of uh, that, that's one of the podcasts that we really enjoyed making, too. And it got a lot of feedback. Uh Guys, you were likely call- largely from sock puppets. <laughs> we hope so. Uh, that's There's one the- person making a lot of email accounts. Yeah. yeah. That's the one where we were, uh, 
uh, all four of us were uh, accused routinely for several months and sometimes still in the comment thread of being uh, anti-Russian spies or something. I can't remember. The conspiracy in the thread got oh, so yeah, deep. That was very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I didn't mean to promote any anti-Russian message, but uh, <laughs> I think some people were sensitive about that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that we have to deal with when we delve into those kinds of topics is that it may appear that we are looking at one case obsessively or that we are somehow singling out one country or organization, but it goes back to the sources we can find, right? Mm -hmm. You're just talking about the thing we know the most about. Yeah, and it it sure did appear. Look, I'm not saying that Russia was doing a terrible job, but it was way (laughs) easier to find examples of their sock puppetry than many other places. Uh, and speaking of fantastic segues, <laughs> let's get to, uh, let's get to something that, that is fascinating and a little bit of background for everybody. Okay. So in the past listeners, you have asked Matt and Noel and I uh, a question that haunts me still. What is the world's oldest conspiracy theory? You may, you may notice on our videos in the intros, at least the older intros, you see something that says it starts here and yeah. we've, we've wanted to know where does it start? Right. Where, when, what, why, how, all of the, all of the big journalistic questions. And it's a game that we have played for years now. It's a rough game because as you're going to see quite quickly past a certain point, ancient history is, um, I'm not going to curse on the show. So I'll say it's a friggin' Rorschach. People see what <laughs> they want to see in it. They, they draw what is convenient to them. There are people, phantom history enthusiasts, for instance, who believe that we are still in the medieval or middle ages. Uh, Wait, what? What's the argument there? Oh, is that the is that the missing era uh-huh, theory yeah. where they believe there are a couple hundred years that didn't actually happen? Uh, Charlemagne's made up. Yeah. Uh, interesting. That's a good one. Yeah. It, we, we did have a video <laughs> on it and I think we did a, an, a, an audio episode on it. If we haven't, we should. We will. Or maybe that was just in the missing years. Uh, so we got to something different. It's not, it's probably not the oldest or the first conspiracy theory. Well, According to its adherents, it may well be. We're talking about one of the oldest extant conspiracy theories in Western history. And it's one that cast out not just like on one aspect of the world, right, but on the entirety of reality itself. We are talking about a war for the soul of Christianity, a war for the fate of human beings, a war for reality. Uh, the line we use in the video is a cosmic cover-up leading to things that literally, literally cannot be imagined. <laughs> so we're talking about Gnosticism. Uh, this is a topic I've wanted to talk about on a podcast for a long time, and I hope I get to revisit it eventually because, unfortunately, it is one of those subjects that is so fascinating and so rich I'm sorry to say this, but we will not be able to talk about everything that's interesting to talk about. We're we're barely going to be able to scratch the surface today, but we want to give you a little bit of a flavor of what Gnosticism is, uh, how it was lost to history and then partially regained, what we can know about it, why it's so mysterious, and why it proposes such a mysterious view of our place in the cosmos And one of the most interesting facts about this uh, mystery, as you alluded to, is the fact that it sort of is a conspiracy theory. It is a cosmic conspiracy theory about the role of creation, of human beings, of the gods, and how it's all a vast cover-up. 
Yeah, and the encounter with the divine. Now, as we do in any episode that touches on religion, we want to have a little bit of a of a disclaimer, right? Uh, yeah, I would say that for my part here, we're, we're not here to evaluate the, I don't know, theological merits of one religion versus another we or anything like that. We just want to talk about the history. Uh, mm-hmm. what people believed in the past, where these ideas came from, and how they played into ancient societies and still do today. Yeah, and the very, very strange stories of early Christianity. Personally, I am personally, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit bummed that we're not going to be able to cover some of the er- other offshoots or sects, but this is a big one. This is one of the, um, more mysterious and influential, and we can always come back to, uh, we can always come back to other, some of my other favorite offshoots. Okay. So can I put you guys in a scenario? Yeah. Perfect. All right. Y'all game. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to, I want to take you back into the past and have you imagine that you are a Christian living somewhere in the Roman empire about the year 180. No, you specifically. Oh, wow. Okay. Imagining. Okay, so maybe you're in Gaul. You're up in France. Mm-hmm. And and you're part of a small Christian community in a town that meets regularly, and, and you do the Christian rituals. You celebrate the Lord's Supper. You practice baptisms. You worship Jesus Christ. Uh, and you believe Jesus Christ to be the one true Savior of humankind. So what's your life like? Uh, one thing I would say is that the pagan locals probably don't like you a whole lot. They spread lies about your beliefs and religious practices. For example, they might say that you guys practice incestual orgies and feast on the flesh of sacrificed infants. That's not true, but that's what they say about you. Uh, when disasters happen, sometimes people blame you and call you atheists because you won't sacrifice to the pagan gods of Rome or to the Roman emperor to, to keep everything in order. You're not carrying your weight. Right. Yeah. You're not doing your job as a citizen of this empire, uh, or I guess you probably wouldn't, whether or not you're citizens, you're not doing your job as somebody living in, in, uh, in this community to keep the gods happy and keep us out of harm's way. But otherwise things probably aren't too bad unless you're, uh, living during one of the few periods of sporadic persecution. Mm-hmm. So one day after a good sermon in your church, there's, there's one member of your congregation who comes up to you and says, uh, Hey buddy. Did you like that sermon today about the resurrection and, you know, immortality and all that? Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Well, maybe you should join my private study group. We can we can learn more about the true knowledge of God. God, God. <laughs> so no, you're going to you're going to follow this guy to his Bible study group and it, it meets at his house. And at first, everything sounds pretty normal. You know, they're talking about the same kind of stuff you're hearing about in church. They're talking about salvation and knowledge of God and eternal life. But over time, you start hearing maybe some weirder concepts that maybe aren't quite so familiar from what you're used to at church, like how the creation story you've always been told in the book of Genesis is really just a cover story and that Noah's flood was a false flag operation and that, of course, Judas is really a misunderstood hero, not the betrayer of Christ. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I want to interject real quick. Who are these guys? Well, it sounds to me like, Noel, you have encountered some adherents of the Gnostic school of thought. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. 
Well, the Gnostics were a group of early Christians, and and the Gnostic way of thinking, uh, we do believe, extends beyond Christianity. So there were there were probably Gnostics who weren't exactly Christians, like there might have been uh, Hermetic Gnostic traditions that had to do with some version of the god Hermes. But right. there was Gnostic Christianity, and so when people talk about Gnosticism, most of the time what they're talking about is Gnostic Christianity. And it was a, a system of beliefs within early Christianity that uh, that was eventually not the dominant one. Uh, the strain of thinking that eventually became the dominant one in early Christianity and then turned into the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Church – uh, and subsequently also the Protestant church, since that broke away from the Catholic church, is often referred to by scholars as proto-Orthodox. So in a very loose way, this just means something like Catholics before there was a Catholic church. Um, though if, if you get all the way into the, the muddy waters of early Christian history, that's not exactly, that is not an unproblematic concept. People right. have challenged the validity of the idea of a proto-Orthodox church, but I think it's, it's okay enough for our purposes today. And we read, uh, we read a fantastic book and, uh, a great course, coincidentally, <laughs> uh, that, that's the name of the series, but it is also a great course. I'm going to be honest. I haven't finished the book yet, but I, I like what I've read and I did check out the great course. So we have, uh, we have some, uh, quotations from, uh, an author that I don't know. I think we're both fans of. Yeah. Yeah. This guy was my main source on Gnosticism. Uh, and he's, he is an Ohio state university history professor, history of, uh, Christianity professor named David Brackey. And, Bracky says this in uh, his book on the Gnostics. He says, most scholars agreed that there was no single church in the first and second centuries, but a multitude of competing groups, one of which began to emerge in the third century. So that'd be in the 200s right. uh, as the dominant one. And so can be called proto-orthodoxy. So these are the guys who eventually become the, the major dominant players. Mm-hmm. And they are contrasted with what we would think of as as the heresies, basically. Right. The, the yeah. early systems of thought in Christianity that did not become the winners in the battle of ideas. Ah, yes. And, I, have a, I have a great idea for this one, or a comparison for okay. everybody. Uh, so the more we learn about the evolution of man, the more we're learning that it was not a single linear thing, right? That there were other close like versions of people, of humanity. So that's how we find that there is DNA, uh, Neanderthal, Denisovan DNA in modern humanity today. Mm-hmm. So these, uh, competing, um, these competing types, I don't want to say brands, but competing types <laughs> of, uh, early man, uh, still ended up with us today in a kind of, uh, I mean, DNA and reproduction is already kind of a religious syncretism or similar to it, right? Yeah. So this, this analogy for, um, for people who maybe are, are not too familiar with the early days of religion, that's a good way to look at it. Is that fair? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good one in that I think based on what I've read, the most, uh, the most accurate way to look at the development of, of theology and Christianity or really probably any religion, but especially in Christianity, based on what we know, is that it's not a unity into diversity 
system. And it's not a diversity into unity system, but it's a diversity into diversity system. Mm-hmm. There are lots of competing ideas and they get, uh, sort of go through recombination over the years into various different strains, but you start with diversity and then you end with diversity. So where did Gnosticism come from? Well, that's a difficult uh, question to answer because we don't know exactly where or when it came from. Uh, was it a variation that emerged from early Christianity? So did you have Christians who started taking on ideas, uh, other ideas from the culture, maybe from Neoplatonism, which is a thing we can talk about in a little yeah, bit, yeah. Uh, and and turn into Gnostics? Or did it originally come from Judaism? Was there a kind of Jewish Gnosticism that became Christian Gnosticism? Or did it come from paganism and secular philosophy and then incorporate Christian ideas? Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't really know the answer to that question because we don't know when or where it first showed up. There's some guesses, like some people think maybe Gnosticism started in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. But they're all just kind of circumstantial guesses. We don't really know. One thing we can do, however, is disprove some earlier theories, because uh, before a very, very important point in comparatively recent history, uh, Gnosticism was the subject of a lot of wild speculation. So we can It, it sort of invites topic. that, doesn't it? <laughs> it Once does. we actually talk about the Gnostic myth, I think you're going to understand a little more like why this is why this invites some really weird literature and, and speculation. I just have to jump in here and say the the kind of creation myth and the Adam and Eve myths mm-hmm. of Gnosticism fascinate me, and uh-huh. I, I really like them. I think I might uh, be converting, like, while we're sitting here. Okay, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll check in we'll with check you in, in a little bit. Okay, because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear... I want to hear what you think once we get to Yaldabaoth. Oh, yeah. Oh, what am I don't even know what that characters. is yet. Uh, you're gonna love them. You're yeah. gonna love Yaldabaoth. Oh, yeah, a big excited. hit with the kids. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> okay. Kind of a kind of like a buddy god. Oh, sweet. In some versions. No, not at all. I know. I know. <laughs> Let me just have this one, Joe. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, point being, point being, uh, that we know, for instance, the earlier belief that Gnosticism originated in Eastern traditions such as Buddhism is. Fairly easy to dismiss. Yeah, that's probably not correct. That's probably not correct, which I know sounds like we're waffling a little bit, but again... It's ancient history. It's you, ancient all you history. can do is waffle. There, There's almost nothing certain in ancient history. And then to add to the problem, before, again, 1945, a very important moment in this story, uh, the little documentation that we did have about Gnostic belief systems came often from its critics. They came yeah, from people, yeah. yeah, almost entirely from its critics. Right. Yeah, so for the longest time, almost everything we knew about the Gnostics came from heresiologists, uh-huh. from members of this group you might call proto-Orthodox, people who who were trying to identify bad, aberrant strains of thinking in in their opinion mm. and and teach people how to recognize them and how to Get rid of them. Get them out of your church. You know, you don't want these bad ideas running around. Almost yeah. like skeptics for uh, the religion or for the belief, the system of belief. Well, to bring it, yeah, yeah. to bring it into a, another thing, um, you always have to consider a source, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So if we were just to look at some modern analogies, what we're saying is you wouldn't trust Coca-Cola's review of a new Pepsi product. <laughs> you wouldn't if someone works at Chevy, you wouldn't expect them to say, you know what, it, you know, it, 
those Toyotas are badass. You know, you instead you would expect the opposite. You would expect for them to have problems. You're never going to see even an Olive Garden ad singing the praises of a night out at Applebee's. That's just not how people or ideas work. Well, our Olive Garden in this case is going to be a second century church father named Irenaeus of Lyon. What do you all know about Irenaeus? Well, I know that he is great at parties, uh, from what <laughs> I remember. Uh, well, he, he was pretty much an, an enemy of the Gnostic belief, uh, to the point of maybe being an alarmist. Well, yeah, he, he wrote a whole book about this pretty much. It, it's, uh, it, for short, it's called Against the Heresies, but the real title of this treatise Irenaeus wrote is On the Detection and Overthrow of the So-Called Gnosis, or On the Detection and Overthrow of Knowledge Falsely So-Called. Yeah, and he uses the phrase so-called. Yeah, so frequently. Well, what is, what does this term gnosis mean? Well, gnosis refers to sort of the key concept of Gnosticism, and it's it's the idea of knowledge. Now, all Christians would probably incorporate the idea of knowledge of God, right? If you sure. want if you want to be a member of the true religion, you're gonna to have to know what God is like. But the Gnostics emphasized their special type of knowledge, uh that that it was a knowledge that was better than the kind of knowledge other people had because it was a more direct, more true, more intimate knowledge of the real reality more about God. Experiential. Yeah. Okay, it also focuses on knowledge from within as well, correct? That's that was one of the big ideas is that many much of the true knowledge that you are getting actually comes from within uh yeah that well that there is a that there's a there's a true nature inside of you that wants to uh to realize the true it almost is more of like an enlightened state like uh, like something that you would read about in philosophy as opposed to a religious text uh that's very much that's very true in some ways except that there also is a ton of complicated mythology yeah. <laughs> that you'd have to incorporate. But uh yeah, so this guy Irenaeus of Lyon who wants to talk about the overthrow of knowledge falsely so called, he he was warning his congregation about the dangers of all these interpretations of Christianity other than his own. Mm-hmm. And um and and so he talked about what the Gnostics believed. He talked about how they were wolves in sheep's clothing. They'd come preaching a message that, that sounds kind of like what you would hear in your church. You would be like, okay, yeah, they're talking about eternal life and salvation and knowledge of God. So I think that's all right. But then he says, once you dig down deeper into what they're teaching, it's this crazy, aberrant, horrible thing that's going to lead people astray and straight into damnation. A uh, M. Night Shyamalan twist. It sort know. of is. Yes, it's the it's the end of the village <laughs> but for your religion uh no spoilers though no i would never i don't think that's a spoiler i'm kidding i would never <laughs> tell your listeners that at the end of lost everybody is in a dream of a lawnmower <laughs> in the dream of a sentient lawnmower oh come on when was that show over what's the statute of limitations on spoilers Anyway, uh, this goes, guys, this goes into another conversation. No, the, the, the fact that everybody is a dream of a sentient lawnmower is more like the Gnostic myth than it is what's in Lost. Um, 
<laughs> so the other th- other things that Irenaeus said is that uh, Irenaeus had this idea we talked about it a minute ago. A minute ago, as saying something that we were saying is probably not true. He had this idea that Christianity began as a single unified tradition. Everybody is on the same page, and then later it split off into all these bad interpretations. Right. On this rock, I found my church, and then eventually people lost their way. Yeah, but most scholars today of of ancient history and of early Christian history just wouldn't agree with that picture. They'd see it. It's probably started very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, he also basically said the Gnostics they're immoral and it, this is these are David Brackey's words mm-hmm. immoral and theologically stupid. So both <laughs> both uh, bad people and uh, dense and uh, also you can tell that he would completely believe and uh, support rumors of like strange orgies. Baby eating, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, other, though other it's things. funny because people said that about his type of Christians, even though it probably wasn't true. I mean, baby eater was a fairly common, uh, it was, it was a fairly common insult in the public discourse. It's a pretty good go to. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it was, uh, it, our version of it now is un-American. I've called two of the three of you baby eaters before. Yeah, but I respect you because you said it to me and not about me. <laughs> And I appreciate you excluding me from that. And to be fair, Ben, you were sort of chewing on a baby at the Look, time. Look, guys, guys, this isn't about me or, or, uh, any, any allegations. Let's move on because we're getting to, uh, Matt's new favorite character. Right. So one of the other things Irenaeus talked about is he explained the mythology and theology of the Gnostic school of thought as he understood it, which one of the main takeaways is, uh, this might come as a surprise to some people, but these Christians believe that the God of the book of Genesis mm-hmm. is actually a horrible, false, sort of devil figure called Yaldabaoth. Yaldabaoth, Yaldabaoth, Yaldabaoth. <laughs> and until much more recently, uh, pretty much all we had was these these heresiologists, these people writing about Gnosticism from an unsympathetic viewpoint. Hit pieces. So we didn't get their own story, like what they would have said about themselves. That is until one day in Egypt in 1945, when a couple of guys were digging for fertilizer at the base of the Jabal al-Tarif cliff near a city uh, on the Nile called Nag Hammadi. They dug up 13 ancient codices. They were crazy. They were awesome. They were sealed in earthenware. But these dudes were afraid, right? Yeah. Well, uh, so codices are basically it means books. It means not scrolls. They're the things you pick up um, when you're wandering around in role-playing games, and they tell you about the world. Yes, a codex. So so like uh, the codex, you might often hear about ancient books called codex something, codex uh, maleficus, codex, I don't know. Is yeah. Codex Maleficus a one? It's gotta be. Uh, it sure sounds like it's up there in a Necronomicon air. Uh-huh. Uh, but it just means a bound book. Right. And you see these in Mesoamerica as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, okay, here's the thing. So at first, these guys don't want to open the container because, and I, and I love them for this. I respect them for this. I hate it when I see people acting, uh, acting cartoonish in horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, in, if this were a horror movie, they would dig up the jar, they would open it, it would be Pandora's jar or something, or in some terrible, terrible right. horrific Pinhead thing. comes out. Well, or right. their faces would melt off. Right, or their faces would melt off. That's an excellent example. So. Just save your tears. <laughs> right. So the thing is, um, what I like about this is if you dig up a clearly ancient, sealed container 
from who knows how many years past. We do, but they didn't at the time. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You're not just going to jump in and pop the top and, and see if it happens to be drinkable wine or, or <laughs> something like that. The the guys who discovered this legitimately feared it might contain a gin. Uh, I hadn't heard that detail. Yeah, the that gin. was wow. Uh, so they initially hesitated, uh, and then they when they brought them when they transported them back to hold on. Uh, what's a gin? 
Uh, well, long-time listeners, you know, a gin is something it's that... It's made from juniper berries. Right. And- <laughs> it's, and it, it, it works, uh, it, it revolutionized the cotton industry. Uh, no, a, a gin, D-J-I-N-N, or just J-I-N-N, is a, uh, third creation of God in Islam. Uh, a third species, if you will, uh, not necessarily demons or angels. We've talked about yeah, this. and in past discussions, I think I, I had had the misconception previously that it was always exclusively an evil, malevolent spirit, and you corrected me. But I believe in this situation, that was likely the one they were expecting to the, pop out. That was the fear. Yes, yeah. yeah I've I've always right. heard about it as a wilderness dwelling spirit of some kind. Right. There are different classes of. Je- oh man. Okay. Guys, we're just going to have to do a gin episode one day because I'm too fascinated with it. Anyway, so that detail uh, is allegedly what happens. And now, as we know, guys, the the Nag Hammadi library became very, very close to uh, extinction within just a few, like, days or weeks oh, after yeah. its discovery. Because originally, I think that w- one of the people uh, came home to the house after yeah. they brought it home yeah. uh, and found that uh, somebody in the house had tried to start an oven with some of the papers uh-huh. in the codices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, we lost part of what the library originally was. But I think... Uh, Is after- that just out of necessity or were they... Did they I fear th- the th- documents? No, I think they didn't realize what they were. Okay. Yeah. Um, but... Anyway, uh, so they eventually it it passed hands a few times. I think first they showed it to a local priest Mm -hmm. and then eventually it came to the attention of scholars. But once scholars became aware of these ancient documents, these codices, uh, they, they realized they had something very valuable and very interesting on their hands. So it was a big collection of texts. That were written in Coptic, which is an ancient Egyptian language. It's sort of the, the last stage in the evolution of the Egyptian language over the, over the centuries, uh, you know, came from down the line from hieroglyphics, but written yeah. in Greek. Yeah. Uh, in Greek a, script. It was a translation, right? Yeah. It was a translation from, so the originals, uh, th- these were copies. So they weren't original documents, mm-hmm. but they were copies of documents that w- scholars could tell were originally written in Greek because sometimes there'd be just the Greek word taken straight over when there wasn't a good Coptic word to fill in for it. And n- nobody knows for sure exactly when the originals of all the texts in this library were composed, but they think that the copies that they had in these jars or in the jar uh, came from a, but somewhere between maybe 350 to 450 CE, mm-hmm. but they could have been copies of much earlier works. We don't know. So, and they had yeah. all kinds of things in them. They had, they had Christian literature. Mm-hmm. They had some writings of Plato. They had like Plato's Republic, uh, sort of, I think, annotated to be a little bit more Gnostic friendly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else did they have? Uh, they, uh, well, they have. Oh, they had some hermetic literature. Right. For, yeah. Which, uh, we'll see Alistair Crowley claim to have an intimate knowledge of. However, this, this is important because, because let's look back again at the, the unbelievable circumstance. And, and the, one of the questions that we will never be able to answer, which is why did someone put these in a jar and bury them at this cliff? Or did they bury them on purpose? It sounds like they did because it was sealed. And then another question, who was that person? Yeah, we don't know for sure. We, we probably the, won't. the documents don't identify who their author was. 
I think one thing that's often speculated is it was likely either like a monastery or somebody wealthy because these are bound books and those were not available to people who didn't have a decent amount of money. So right. it was either like an institution that had some money to spend on these documents or it was a wealthy person probably. Why were they buried there? I don't know. Were they buried for protection? One fear of persecution? Yeah, it, it could be that somebody valued these uh, books and the theology they contained and said, well, you know, the church is not so into people having copies mm-hmm. of these documents anymore. So they were hidden there. That's a possibility. But we really just don't know. And what, But what we do know is that this fundamentally shook the foundations of religious study in the West. Yeah, because now we had primary access to not what the Gnostics' enemies said about them, mm-hmm. but what the Gnostics said about themselves. Uh, and but, but, we got, we got yeah. their own literature. But here's the thing. So what their enemies said about them wasn't always wrong. Oh, no. I mean, they, in some cases, were basically the, the picture painted by Irenaeus, uh, writing in the year 180 about the Gnostics he was aware of, is not super off base. It's just very unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. So he offers kind of a, kind of a dense, unfriendly reading, uh, offering, you know, not a generous portrayal of their understanding of things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, not generous, but not entirely inaccurate. Yeah, he didn't lie, uh, he, or at least as far as I know, he didn't lie very much about what they taught. Yeah, he would just say, here's what they believe, here's why they're immoral and intellectually inferior and wrong. Well, yeah. yeah, because it was contextualized within his beliefs. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what are the core Gnostic beliefs? Like, what makes somebody a Gnostic, and and how is it different than other Christians of the time or, or just other people in general? Oh, and while we talk about this, listeners, just a, just a note here. Think about where you might have seen a similar philosophy turn up in other places. I think it would be interesting for people to find that. Hmm. Yeah, sort of a Debbie Downer worldview here, if you ask me. Not necessarily. This is an interesting thing that, uh, that, that scholar I mentioned earlier, David Brackey, a lot of, my, as I said, a lot of my information here is going to come from him. And I kind of like his take on it because he says, you know, it sounds like a downer worldview to us, but it also has very positive points in some ways more positive than, uh, than some ways of looking at religions that do exist. Uh, so, so, Hang with me here for a second, and we'll see how much of a downer it really is. But it, it's certainly, if you're not familiar with it, going to sound weird as heck. First of all, core Gnostic belief, number one, the whole material world, including our bodies, is just awful. The entire material universe. Yeah, yeah, the material universe. Uh, yeah, I mean that by world. Everything made of stuff. Just sucks. It's just awful. It's flawed, gross, and wicked. And this world is not our true home. They would not have looked fondly upon the Madonna song material girl. No, no, they would. Yeah. That is the antithesis of Gnosticism. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. Except that it might articulate a pretty well Gnostic theology from the other end saying Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I'm fine being a, being a, a confused, befuddled creature of material existence who doesn't know my true inner light. But why is this so flawed? Well, the world is incredibly flawed because, and I mentioned this earlier, the God who created this world is not the true God, but a dumb, cruel, feeble, wannabe God called Yaldabaoth. Or also, also... 
parallel with this idea or sometimes known as the demiurge. Right. And in some schools of Gnosticism, also called the craftsman. Yeah. Which uh, I think is what demiurge means. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the etymology, it's the, it's the, the, a great artificer, one who, who builds or creates this world. So in a way, this, this creator is the source of the imperfection defining the material world. Uh, and in some cases, Yaldabaoth, this demiurge, this craftsman, is not aware that a higher plane exists. Yeah, he's kind of fumbling, or he might be sort of aware. It's just, this is just not a good God. And you can see pretty immediately why this made Christians mad and they didn't like this this alternate theology. So is humanity just sort of a tragic, silly accident? No, I'll get to that in the creation myth in a bit. But uh, they, well, it's it's a sort of, humanity is a way of rectifying a tragic, silly accident. But our material bodies are no good. <laughs> material is garbage. Mm-hmm. Right, this this is a a reality in transition is maybe a way to put it. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that very much. Yeah. Uh so a- another uh, core tenet it's that our our material bodies as we've said materials are bad and so our material bodies are not who we really are. We come from a spiritual plane of existence which is the plane of the true god uh not the inferior creator of this disgusting horrible material world. And this true god is largely indefinable, unknowable, uh-huh. incomprehensible. Yeah. And then, and then finally, uh, one of the other main tenets is that you can find salvation in achieving correct knowledge in achieving knowledge of your true origins and the true origins of the universe, the true origins and nature of human beings and, uh, discovering them through participation in these very complicated myths. Okay, so now I think it's time to actually do a case study in Gnostic mythology and look at the Gnostic myth as presented by one of their scriptures that was discovered in the Nag Hammadi Library. But before we do that, we need to take a listen from our sponsor. So we've been talking a lot about The Great Courses, and we are still very excited about their new The Great Courses Plus video learning service. Yeah, you'll have unlimited access to a huge library of The Great Courses series and a lot of fascinating subjects, not just religious studies, though that's in there, too. There's more. Yeah, like science, like cooking, history, photography, all kinds of good stuff. Pretty much anything you can think of. We love The Great Courses Plus, and just for listening to the show, they have a deal for you today. You can watch one of their popular courses, The Inexplicable Universe, Unsolved Mysteries, not for, like, $20, not for, like, 20% off, but for free. Oh, that's a good number. That's the best number. It's not even a number. It's not even a thing. It's just nothing. So what is this? The Inexplicable Universe is a course presented by the well-respected astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. We've been watching it. We really dig it. And we want you to enjoy it as well because it's one of their most popular courses and it explores some of the universe's biggest mysteries in a particularly engaging and fascinating manner. And it kind of encapsulates these massive ideas in a very digestible format. Which is what we do at How Stuff Works. So if you enjoy How Stuff Works, if you enjoy our podcast, if you enjoy our other peer podcasts, then you will 
will enjoy the Great Courses Plus. And for a limited time, because apparently we're moving up in the world to have some pull with these guys, the Great Courses Plus is offering you a chance to stream Neil deGrasse Tyson's course, Inexplicable Universe, Unsolved Mysteries, a $95 value, along with hundreds of other stuff, hundreds of other courses, for free. But this free offer is only available for a limited time, so you got to hurry up and do it now. To stream the Inexplicable Universe from The Great Courses Plus for free, you must go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash conspiracy. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash conspiracy. Here's where it gets crazy. Okay, now we're going to look at what's in the secret book, according to John. It was one of these texts contained in the Nag Hammadi Library. It's one of the core texts of, of this uh, of this Gnostic school of thought. And uh, I want to present it, and I want to give credit where credit is due. I, I'm presenting it as summarized by the scholar I mentioned earlier, David mm-hmm. Brackey, because he has a really great summary and explanation of it, actually in his Great Courses series on Gnosticism, which I highly recommend checking mm-hmm. out. So he's my main source on on what I'm about to tell you, but this is what you get if you read The Secret Book According to John. Which you can read online as well. Ah, yeah. Uh, so first of all, author's unknown. We don't know who actually wrote it. Claims to be written by the Apostle John, but, you know, it eh. probably wasn't. Uh, it was written probably sometime between like 100 and 150 CE. Uh, we don't know for sure, but it is an apocalypse. And this is a very popular form of religious writing for the time. In fact, there are, po- there are apocalypses in the Christian Bible. There is th- the book of Revelation. Sure, that's the, that's that's the, the apocalypse single. of John. What, right. what revelation there is just the, tra- it's the translation of the word apocalypse. It means an unveiling or a revelation of things. Right. We've explored that point on this show before because nowadays in modern U.S. usage or uh, English usage, it's often conflated to mean just a disastrous. Yeah. Into the world or something. Yeah. But and I really think, it just, it's a, it's a, uh, an enlightenment of sorts. Yeah. I, I think it comes from the fact that, that often these revelations did reveal things about the end of the world, but, mm. the, but originally apocalypse just meant revelation. And, uh, the, though it is certainly true that a, a very popular thing for the gods to reveal was something about the end of the world. <laughs> right. Right. It's not going to, who's going to win the next game. Right. Yeah, you have to be able to scare people in order to believing in what you're telling them, right? <laughs> okay, okay. So the secret book, according to John, this apocalypse uh, revealed to the, the disciple John, the Savior, appears to John after he's already resurrected. And he comes back. He's like, listen, I'm going to tell you the true story about everything now. Right. You're going to get the, this is going to. Yeah. Time <laughs> for the real story. So are you guys ready? Buckle up. I've been trolling you for 33 years. <laughs> <laughs> um. So here it is. The true God is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a fake God. The true God is, in fact, this abstract, huge mind. It's like a, uh, Bracky's words are a vast intellect. And this huge mind fundamentally cannot be known or understood by human beings. It's this vast, complicated, but at the same time, completely simple, at rest, at peace, incorruptible, perfect spirit of thought. Mm-hmm. Well, originally. Originally. You want, you, are you with me so far? Sounds Ultim- to me like a giant 
uh, quantum computer the size of several universes. Or maybe a giant single thought. Well, mm-hmm. actually, it's everything there is. So right. originally, it's everything there is. It's ultimate, eternal, and at peace. Uh, and this thing is called, in, in Bracky's words, he calls it the invisible spirit. Mm-hmm. That's uh, actually what the Genesis song Invisible Touch is about. <laughs> is that true? I'm not, I'm not a, uh, Gen- I want it, I want it to be true. Well, let's see. Maybe they are listening to the show. So, uh, write in guys, write in and let us know. Right. Well, there is something about this invisible spirit that figures into that because he wants to touch the light, the heat in our eyes and he begins to think. Uh, so I, I said he, but actually it's, it's more likely that. to say it. Yeah. yeah. So the invisible spirit, it begins to think. And when it begins to think, the thinking produces an entity of thought. So it has a thought, and that thought is the first created thing, mm-hmm. known as forethought, uh, Greek pronoia, uh, that is a reflection of the invisible spirit itself. Because if it's all that exists, what does the invisible spirit have to think about Right. except itself? So it thinks about itself, and then that thought becomes sort of a copy of itself. So the forethought is a divine thought that is also known as an eon. Or these, like self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, and the, these thoughts are all known as eons or emanations from the great invisible spirit. Are you with me so far? Oh, yeah. We're about to go into the deep water. Okay. Forethought, forethought is also known as barbalo, a word that we can't translate. We don't know where it comes from. Nope. The first time <laughs> I heard it, actually, I was a child. I was watching uh, a uh, animated film called Vampire Hunter D, and there's a character named Bar uh, Barbalo, or or they pronounce it Barbalo as well. Uh-huh. And I think it's a character or a place. And so I checked it out. I did some research at the library, and that that's actually how I learned about Gnosticism at a young age. No way. Yeah, so from Vampire Hunter so D. So thank you, Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> well, anyway, that's an yeah. important thing you point out. You say character or a place, because I think with these divine. Uh, with these divine beings in the Gnostic mythology, the line between place and person is kind of blurred. Oh, yeah. Something like the invisible spirit could be referred to as a, as an entity that acts like a person, but it can also be thought of as like a place you can go. So the invisible spirit thinks the eon forethought or Barbalo. And, uh, and then when God is thought of as a collection of a- aeons or eons, it, mm. it starts thinking all these thoughts. Right. Um, and this whole collection of thought eons is known as the entirety or the fullness. And they all, and they, uh, use a buddy system too. That's exactly right. So each eon has a counterpart of the opposite sex, making it this kind of male female partnership. So it's not just an eon, but there's like the eon of wisdom, which has the female main part of wisdom, but then also the male counterpart to wisdom. Okay. You with me so far? Maybe. Then the invisible spirit looks upon the Barbalo. And this act creates a spark called the uh, autogenes, or the divine self-originate, is mm. the English term Bracky uses. It's also known as the anointed one or the Christ. So it's something kind of like sexual procreation between the abstract invisible spirit and the Barbalo that produces the Christ. And you can see how fundamentally offensive this would be to the proto-orthodoxy of the time and perhaps... Uh, listeners, 
uh, to, to some of you now. Now keep in mind, we are not preaching this. We're, uh, attempting to shine light upon this, yeah. this vast cover up theory. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, I just have to start really fast. So, okay. So the Barbelo, <laughs> which is a thought from the, uh, the, the invisible, the invisible spirit. spirit. It thinks a thought. It creates kind of a mirror image type thing of itself. Then uh-huh. when the invisible spirit looks at the mirror image of itself, Again, it sort of has it, sex with it. Spiritually, whatever it does yeah. to it to create a second thing. Right. From yeah. it. So it it's a like spiritual union. It emanates. It has a co-emanation. Yeah. Okay. And how how are these these uh, these various elements personified? Like, if you had to animate them, if you were going to make like an instructional cartoon about these various parts, what would they look like? Pure white they- light extending forever into the universe. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I just made that up. But it's something like. I mean, I think that they don't have. You can't. I, you can't. They're not, they're yeah. not like angels. They don't have like a corporeal. No, form. we're no, not to that yet. Not near. These these things are more like sentient but, concepts. But we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting to the creatures. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> this leads. So after the the there's this Barbalo uh, invisible, invisible spirit union here. This leads to the emanation of twelve more eons. So they're just creating thoughts all over the place. Mm-hmm. Eons uh, that are separated into four groups, led by beings called the Luminaries that serve the divine self-originate, and I, I don't want to get into all their names and everything. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, here's where we get to how all the trouble started. Uh, so you remember I mentioned ago, a minute ago how they all have male-female counter- counterparts. Right. Well, there's one eon called Wisdom, or Sophia, uh, and Wisdom is the lowest eon yet created, and she is female. And she decides that she wants to think her own thought Without the help of a male counterpart. Of the male wisdom. So she, she essentially wants to reproduce asexually, so to speak. And this is a mistake. A huge mistake. It is, it is the ultimate huge mistake. Yes. Uh, and the eon, so she does it. She manages to reproduce asexually, but the eon she produces by this comes out seriously flawed, messed up, deformed, and it's this misshapen progeny that's called Yaldabaoth. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Some. 41 and many more for way less grab your tickets now through may 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just 25 dollars each visit livenation.com slash concert week to buy now that's livenation.com slash concert week to buy now snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So even in this mythology, the female is the one that screws everything up. Uh sort of, but she's also she also ends up trying to set things right. Right. This is kind of a uh, a hero's journey for Sophia. In uh, fact, yeah. this is an interesting question people have looked into like is Gnosticism more uh more feminist friendly than mm-hmm. than other ancient religions and some people have said, "Well, yeah, it is for X Y and Z reasons." Right. And then other people have said, "Well, no, it's not really for these other reasons." I think it's kind of a wash. It has it has some more female friendly ideas and it has some less female friendly ideas. Mm-hmm. But but to to Noel's point, it is it is true that it has that that Pandora moment, that Eve yeah. moment, uh, which is very common in Western religions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot, let's face it, I mean, a lot of the people controlling these ancient religions were men, and a lot mm-hmm. of them didn't think very highly of women. Right, it's true, the gender politics, which uh, can continue, the gender politics you hear about today uh, were much, much different earlier on, to yeah. the point of spiritual beliefs. So, so we got Yaldabaoth on our hands. Well, obviously, Yaldabaoth has no place in the entirety so where is he going to go? Well, they got to cast him out. Mm-hmm. So they cast out Yaldabaoth. He's out of the heavenly realm. And he's uh, Satan, right? No, he's not quite. Well, I mean, to them, he might, but they don't use these terms. No, but I'm saying in in the mythology, he is a stand-in for Satan. You're saying that commonality. Yeah, yeah. He, a bad figure who's cast out. The, yeah. the yeah. difference is he's a bad seed instead of a rebellious force. He's just not perfect in yeah. this and, world of perfect thought. And wasn't wasn't one of the concepts that Sophia was actually trying to kind of cover up like her yep. mistake? Like she was like, oh, we yes. can't let anybody see you. Yes, and, exactly. She's trying to hide it. So she throws him out into exile. And one more parallel. Uh, remember in the Greek and Roman tradition, Vulcan or Hephaestus thrown from Mount Olympus uh, and becoming lame uh-huh. and also becoming the, the artificer. 
of that pantheon. Ah, that's a very interesting parallel. Okay, so we got Yalda both cast out, bye-bye to the entirety, but when he goes, unfortunately, he takes some of the power of the entirety with him. Mm, Promethean. Yes, and then what, once he's out there, what's he gonna do? He's just out there in the void, he's out, he's outside of the entirety, so he's like, well, I'm gonna make a copy of the entirety, duh. That's what I gotta do, I gotta make another one of those that I came mm. from. But because he's dumb and uh mean and not very good, he's just flawed in pretty much every way, he doesn't do a good job. And instead, he makes this horrible world. Mm-hmm. He's trying to copy the invisible spirit's emanation of the eons. So, it, you know, the invisible spirit thinks thoughts and they become companions, these other beings. Yaldabaoth instead makes a bunch of godlike beings to be in his court that are known as the rulers. And these are these evil figures that are sort of God's helpers, and, the, the bad God's helpers. And I, I just want to say, far be it to like humanize this abstract concept, but it's an understandable thing on an individual level to want to recreate a home. Uh-huh. But he's uh, kind of a dick about it. I just have to say, Yaldabaoth doesn't think he's a bad guy in this scenario at all. Yaldabaoth just is doing what he or she or it thinks it well, wants to Well, does to the bad return. guy ever really think they're a bad guy? Yeah, Hans Gruber just wanted to sit on a beach with, you know, earning 15%. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, you know, that's a that's a, a point that we explore here. But here's why I say that, you know, I'm being crass when I say he's being a dick or whatever. But he lies to his creations. He does. So he's created these rulers and he tells them that there are no other gods except for him and he demands loyalty from his eons. And this is this is bad news. The entirety gets wind of this and they don't like it. Uh so there is some some fixing that needs to be done. Right. There there is a there is an act of repair that must be carried out and who does that fall to? Well really it falls to wisdom because it's her fault for mm-hmm. creating Yaldabaoth in the first place. All right so so wisdom's got to fix things. Uh and so what she does is she temporarily com- she temporarily comes together with uh the eon known as Afterthought. And this pairing, along with the Barbelo, so mm-hmm. there's some some teamwork here, uh, they try to reclaim the power that Yaldabaoth stole from the spiritual realm of the entirety when he left. And uh, they kick things off by saying, let's have Yaldabaoth make some humans. So by influencing Yaldabaoth secretly. Yeah, yeah. They send an image of light in the form of a human. Uh, in, in actually the form of the entirety down to Yaldabaoth. And this tricks Yaldabaoth into uh, creating the form of a spiritual human. So they make a human, but it won't become animated. But this is, a, be, bear in mind, this is not a human with a body. It's sort of the spirit of a human. Right. Uh, so then Wisdom and the Barbalo trick Yaldabaoth into breathing his spirit into the newly created human forms. Yaldabaoth does it, but this was a bad idea for him because in doing so, he passes the power of the entirety that he took when he was exiled into these created beings. Um, and, and this means humans are going to be more powerful than Yaldabaoth and the rulers, and that's no good. So they got to scramble to cover up the mess. And what they do is they quickly cram the newly created human spirits into bodies made from the matter of the universe that the Yaldabaoth created, bodies made of Earth. 
And this helps keep humans bogged down, just kind of feeling baffled and, and unable to think clearly. It also limits their power by by chaining them to this rock in a way by yeah. gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that would be an interesting way of thinking about it. Like we're just we're just stuck. We're just stuck in this nasty mire of material stuff. Uh, so now, what are Wisdom and the Barbalo going to do? Well, they get another plan. They send wisdom down in the form of afterthought to hide inside humans and try to steer them back to knowledge of the spiritual realm, knowledge of the entirety. And so the, the great, the huge salvation conflict in Gnosticism, uh, uh, a la the revelation of John is that wisdom and the Barbalo are trying to bring the power of the entirety, uh, present in human beings back to the spiritual plane. Meanwhile, Yaldabaoth and the evil rulers want to prevent humans from figuring out their true nature, figuring out their power, and prevent them from getting knowledge of the invisible spirit and of where they came from. So it's a battle over revelation of secret knowledge. The good guys want us to figure out the truth about where we came from, and the bad guys want to perpetuate the conspiracy. Right, yeah, and that and the cover up, yeah, and the cover up. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you mentioned that. <clears throat> and so the the cover up it comes in the form of uh, we get these false stories. So what the Gnostics said about the Bible that the other Christians believed in, that you know the the mm. Jewish text they, that they adopted from the Torah, the Book of Genesis, the Gnostics would say, yeah, that I mean that's all pretty much true as it goes, but it gets some things wrong because they believed Moses wrote it, and they believed Moses was working from the incorrect assumption that Yaldabaoth was the true god, but in fact, Yaldabaoth was Yaldabaoth, not the true god. So it's full of just mistakes and stuff that the Gnostics tried to correct. So a part of this secret revelation, uh, according to John, is that he, he retells the Genesis story, but he fixes the parts that Moses got wrong and said, actually, what happened here, for example, uh, in Noah's flood is that, you know, Yaldabaoth wanted to kill all the humans to snuff out the invisible spirit. Uh, but instead, the spirit of wisdom came down and gave us some, you know, and, and preached to Noah and revealed things. And then Noah was able to save some people and preserve the spirit of, uh, of truth. Right. Like he fixes. I hope uh, right. I hope listeners that you all hear the air quotes around fixes. Right. That, uh, that, that idea is so fascinating to me that, you know, instead of in the, the biblical re- recollections of what occurred with Noah's story, that there are actually two gods mm-hmm. or two forms of gods who are on very dying, yeah, yeah, for, to save them, but then also destroy them. And it gives like a reasoning behind wanting to flood the world. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So you can imagine, I mean, this probably sounded as ridiculous to ancient Christians who were not part of the Gnostic school right. of thought as it does to people who aren't familiar with it today. It's just like, what is all this complicated stuff? Where do they get this from? Right. So in a way, though, uh, right before we get to the end, this is sort of a prequel to Christianity. Yes, but then also the, there are Gnostic texts that, in the same way that this sort of rewrites the story of what happened in the book of Genesis, there are also Gnostic texts that rewrite or at least offer a different version of the story we get in the canonical Gospels. So if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's some differences between them, but they present a, you know, sort of basically similar theology about who Jesus was. Right. And, 
um, and w- what's going on there. It, the Gnostic scriptures are very different. Uh, for example, there's the Gnostic Gospel of Judas. It's a retelling of the gospel stories. Uh, this one was not found at Nag Hammadi. Right. It's a different Gnostic scripture discovery. But uh, just some brief features of this. Uh, it, Judas, Judas Iscariot, the one who in the, the old story is the betrayer of Jesus, mm. now is not the bad guy, but the hero. Right. And so this story is not so much concerned with the works or deeds of Jesus, but with his revelations. So Jesus reveals all the secret history of the universe and his plan of salvation to Judas himself, and the other disciples don't get it. And then Judas helps Jesus slough off this, you know, worthless material body and ascend to the higher plane right. and and further his message of, of, you know, revelation of the true knowledge. And so with this inversion of that, of that story for the ultimate human villain of the Bible, uh, even, even worse than Herod, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the ultimate human villain of the Bible to actually be the more like, uh, the, the Han Solo kind of <laughs> yeah. anti-hero. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go right. home. Well, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely necessary for Judas to exist and betray and do what he did in order for salvation uh-huh. to occur. So it's always been a fascinating thing for me just going back and looking at that story and how Judas then becomes vilified and, and is evil for allowing for salvation. Yeah. And as, as we'll see, the, the Gnostic, to the earlier point about diversity, uh, Gnostics did not, well, let's see, Gnostic traditions did not always agree on these points, just as uh, Christian denominations today don't agree on points. Yeah, and so th- that brings us to, I mean, there are various schools of uh, so-called Gnosticism, and this is going to be uh, another point where we should introduce some su- subtlety, because some things that people have called Gnosticism are things that modern scholars might say, well, I don't know if that should be called Gnosticism. Uh, you know, is it sufficiently similar to say that it's the same thing Irenaeus is talking about in 180, or is this a different kind of thing? For example, there are schools of thought, uh, one of them would be Valentinianism, after the religious thinker Valentinus in the second century, right? Right, so in this school of thought, uh, this uh, Demiurge, the Aldeboth, the craftsman, not an inherently bad guy, actually, or bad being, actually is working in concert with this higher God, this invisible spirit, to bring about salvation. So, in, in other words, this is like the employee who is at the cleanup site yeah. uh, of, a, of a, an environmental or metaphysical disaster. Huh, yeah. And so, and so Valentinianism is one of these. It's like some early heresiologists might have lumped it in with Gnosticism. Right. And even some recent historians might, but then other historians would say, no, Valentinianism we should think about as its own thing. But, but the Aldeboth in this is still flawed. Yeah. And, uh, is not always helping with, uh, consent or knowledge, but instead being secretly influenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another flavor of early Christianity that was, you know, uh, condemned probably by the proto-Orthodox, but, uh, might also have been different than Gnosticism with which it was lumped in is Thomas Christianity. Hmm. You, you may have heard about the Gospel of Thomas, right? This right. is, uh, this is one of these early discoveries of of another gospel that may have even come from the first century. It was an early writing. We don't know exactly when it came from. Oh, actually, we don't know exactly when any of these 
Gospels came from, but we have pretty good ideas about the canonical Gospels. Gospel of Thomas was probably pretty early, and people used to say, well, this is a Gnostic Gospel, and now we don't know for sure. Jesus says things in it that sound pretty Gnostic, mm-hmm. but then there are other, you know, there there's secret knowledge, there's secret knowledge revealed only to certain people. But then again, there are other elements that I think scholars would say, no, it needs to have its own category. So here's here's another question. Oh, what happened to Gnosticism? Yeah, this is a good question because, I mean, I think the traditional story is, well, Gnosticism lost control for the Battle of Christianity and the proto-Orthodox Church, eventually the Catholic Church, won out mm-hmm. and got to dictate what theology was across the Roman Empire. And thus the Gnostics were just sort of eliminated from history. But I, I think there is now uh, an emerging strand of historical thought that, I, that says that's that's maybe not the case. It's more like Gnosticism as a named thing, lost power. Mm -hmm. But it also, in a way, got to define the path of Christianity in doing so, in that, number one, Christianity, uh, proto-Orthodox Christianity and early Catholic Christianity would partially define itself in opposition and reaction to Gnosticism. So it drove some theological statements in those ways. And in other ways, you can still see Gnostic ideas that seem to be incorporated into the lay theology of existing Christianity today. For example, think about how some Christians today might say that the material world is evil and the only true reality is a spiritual one. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds compatible with what people would think of as normal Christianity today, but that also sounds a lot like a Gnostic idea. Now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I know a lot of these pews are empty because it's Sunday football season. <laughs> but I'm not going to put on a fancy suit. I don't think the price of the ticket to a football game matters. There's another ticket I'm trying to get, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh Yeah, I mean, so g- condemnation of the material world. Or uh how about... Uh, uh, this is a common thing you'll see in Christianity today. The, the idea that the world is not the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's something flawed about the way the world is now. Well, I mean, you could say that uh, that seems compatible with what most Christians understand from their modern theology. But at the same time, that that sounds pretty similar to some core Gnostic teachings. And uh, this is uh, this is a fairly common belief in many other religions. Yeah. And then, of course, there are other traditions that have continued throughout the years that, that do seem to incorporate elements of Gnosticism. So like the Mandeans, that's, you know, that's a religion hmm. that uh, that seems to be in some ways Gnostic. Yeah. And then, oh, okay. Here's, here's something. We, we're going a little bit long on this podcast, but we hope you're enjoying it here. And we have some good news. This ancient conspiracy, uh, goes into the modern day. So although Gnosticism, and I love the way you say this, Joe, is defeated in name by what would become the Orthodox or mainstream church, those beliefs and organizations have been revived at several points in history leading to the present day. That's right. No. If you want to be a Gnostic, you could sign up today. Uh, in 1890. <laughs> yeah. Can I really, Ben? I mean, if you want to. Show me how. <laughs> okay. In 1890, a French librarian named Jules Donnell founded, uh, the Inglés Gnostique or, uh, the Gnostic Church. Funny story. Eventually he gave up and resigned, converted to Catholicism because he fell for an anti-Masonic hoax called the Taxel hoax. Later. <laughs> 
<laughs> Later, he joined, uh, he rejoined his own church as a bishop. And then this thing, uh, this became a part of a larger entity. That church folded. But don't abandon hope yet, folks. If you want to join up, you can consider the spiritual, uh, descendant of this, uh, the church, the Gnostic Church of Apostles, uh, the English Gnostic Apostolique, uh, founded by Robert Amberlane in 1958. That church exists today in France. French territories in the Ivory Coast in Midwestern America. Uh, and, you know, Gnostics also have a tremendous impact on other figures that aren't necessarily like religious figures. Uh, uh, for instance, the Theosophical Society uh, spearheaded by uh, Madame Blavatsky, who is not my favorite person, but, you know, deserves a mention. Whoa, in what's wrong with Madame Blavatsky? Is just not my favorite person. That's the nicest thing I can say. <laughs> oh wait, no, because Aleister Crowley is. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a swell guy. Well, he's also inspired by Gnostic thought in a secular way. Mm-hmm. He had like this sexual magic belief in Gnosticism. Uh, and then Carl Jung was fascinated by it. Uh, there was even a magazine that ran for a short time called Gnosis eh, in a burst of creativity. That's what they named it. And uh, it was <laughs> devoted to that esoteric tradition. But it goes further than that, listeners. If you look at some of your favorite works of fiction, you will see the Gnostic belief carrying on today like Neanderthal DNA in a Homo sapien. Yeah, sometimes I wonder how conscious this even is. Like, it, there are lots of science fiction novels and movies and stuff that have extremely familiar themes if you've read about Gnosticism. But uh, you wonder, like, did the creators do this on purpose or is or is this sort of cosmic conspiracy theory just a uh, just does it run deep in our DNA? Yeah. Do, do we do we naturally go to these places when we're trying to dream up what the truth about a crazy world might be like? But examples would be things like uh, Blade Runner or The Matrix well, just sort of like that meta idea of like, this is not the big picture. What we are experiencing here is almost a test or a cruel joke. Yeah. And um, once we are revealed the bigger picture, our minds are either blown or we are able to, you know, transcend to that reality. Yeah. This is a painful audition for a sure. role in the great cosmic drama. Uh, or, 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 I mean, they trying to reach it back out to the, to us and and give us these truths through our media. They found out uh, that mass be. media is the way to actually get this knowledge back to everyone. Well, yeah. So there, there's definitely this theme about like things being not how they seem, but also how about the, the theme of uh, creations rebelling against their creator when they find out how flawed and wicked he is. Ah, yes. Sure. Have, yeah. have either have any of you seen um, Ex Machina? Yeah. 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 And that, that's a, that's a great, that's a great film with an ambiguous ending. Uh, that one, I won't, I have not seen that yet. Okay, guys. At the end, it was all the dream of a sentient lawnmower. Right. And, uh, Ice Cube, uh, ends up going, like, going back. Um, and Samuel L. Jackson is eaten by the shark. Right. And then there's this weird cameo by Tom Waits. I don't know what he was going for, but I liked it. Anyway, he was the voice of the lawnmower. He was the voice of the lawnmower. Uh, so there, there's other stuff, right? Sci-fi is often steeped in Gnostic thought. One of the, one of the, Films I saw when I was a kid that blew my mind was Dark City. Remember that? Oh, I love Dark love City. Still yeah. love holds Dark up. City. Holds it up. holds up. It holds up. And oh, but yeah, it's super Gnostic, right? Yeah. yeah there, there's Gnostic. everybody lives in this. Uh, everybody lives in this sort of bewildered dream state where they're sort of kept stupid by powers mm-hmm. above them, and that there's a revealer figure who wants to bring the light and make people awaken from their stupor and right. realize where they are and how they came to be there. 
Yeah, exactly. And then there are, there are other films like that, but there are also, uh, comics, uh, for, we're huge comic fans here at How Stuff Works. And, and, uh, we're, if we're not on the air, sometimes we meet up just to trade comics. Uh, but one that really, uh, I don't know about you guys, but one that really impressed Matt and I was The Invisibles. Absolutely. I've only read the first volume of it because uh, Christian Sager, my co-host on Stuff to Blow Your Mind, loved yeah. it. Uh, but he loaned that to me, and I loved it. I've got to read more. I've got the full set if you want to read them. Yeah, yeah, dude. Well, okay. So before we go and change this to a comic show, what we have to do are the following things. We have to, first off, thank you so much, Joe, for coming onto the show. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And as I said at the beginning, unfortunately, I mean, Gnosticism is such a huge and fascinating subject. We have only scratched the surface. So if you want to learn more about it, one of the main things I'd recommend is the works of the guy I've mentioned a few times mm-hmm. on here, David Brackey. He's a scholar of Gnosticism. Very interesting, very careful scholar, uh, and I, I like his work. So look him up, look at his books or his great courses series on it, and that's a good place to start. Noel, what what was that look you just gave me? Why, why are you making shrimp eyes at me, man? That's just the way my eyes look, okay? I'm sorry. Yeah, they're weirding me out. you got to make them bigger. They're, no. They're just like little slits. No, no, okay, look. What's going on here, guys? Yeah. It, Doesn't he have kind of a... I don't want to make this awkward for you, Joe, okay? But listen, Noel, You've been, you've been alluding to a thing. There's a weird vibe. Are you accusing me of hemming and hawing? I'm accusing you certainly of being circuitous, but, uh, far be it for us to sit around accusing each other. That's not going to work, but this is a show about uncovering the truth. So lay it on us, man. You, What's you, going on? Yeah. You've alluded to this. What's this stuff of life all about? Oh my gosh, you guys, the stuff of life. Thank you. That's that's my new show that I've been working on. And you're right. I have alluded to it a few times just talking about things that I've learned um, in the research that uh, my colleague and our colleague, Julie Douglas, has done wonderfully um, as the host of the show. Um, but my uh, part is I am the producer. Um, and, you know, I produce a lot of the How Stuff Works shows. But as many of you guys know, uh, that largely consists of folks in a room having a conversation. So the extent of my uh, production on many of those is, you know, editing and doing, you know, sound design here and there, music cues, and I've done some original music for some shows, but this is a show that's given me a real opportunity to just kind of, you know, stretch my legs a little bit, and I do original music compositions and sound design, so to kind of give sort of like an immersive quality to these, these, these episodes. Right, yeah, but what is the show about? I'm glad you asked. The show, The Stuff of Life, is largely... It's just about, you know, it can be anything really. Like the first episode, the pilot, which is actually going to drop in iTunes on the 27th of this month, which is, uh, will be next Wednesday, um, is called The Power of Fear. And, um, we talk to experts in addition to folks right here at How Stuff Works. We have sort of a little round table section in every episode where People get to kind of weigh in on the topic and we make some really nice little sound bites and everyone kind of has a chance to sort of, uh, give their two cents on what we're talking about. But in the fear episode, we talked to, um, two folks who have a company where they actually train, um, office workers, for example, or people in retirement communities, how to deal with an active shooter scenario. That's actually one of the little details I mentioned when we were talking about crisis actors. Um, this company goes in and does these drills. They do let people know they're happening. And the point that I made in the episode was that, you know, when people do these things without letting people know, that's a, you know, 
good recipe for some lawsuits there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a thing that happens and they had a really interesting perspective on just how to deal with fear, things like tactical breathing. And they talk a little bit about the, uh, Centennial Park bombing that kind of was sort of the impetus for, you know, how do we deal with these scenarios and what, you know, kind of gave them the influence they needed to start this company. Um, but we just sort of kind of crack open stories and sort of look at what's inside and figure out, you know, what makes us tick and why we're such storytelling machines, not in terms of fiction, but just in terms of how we share our experience on this planet. Uh, okay. So this is a story about the human experience. I would say so. That's a, that's a good way to put it, Ben. You know, I have to say, I listened to a bit of a, I guess a rough cut that you had sent me. And I, the sound design and the way everything flows together, I hate to make, you know, a comparison, but it sounds to me like a radio lab type show that has all of the music flowing into a next segment and then you're somewhere else and then everything changes. It's just beautiful, man. Thanks, I've man. also, yeah, I've also heard it. I totally have production envy. Uh, and like all the shows we do at How Stuff Works, this is free. Longtime listeners, some of you may remember Julie Douglas from her tenure on Joe's show, Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And, uh, Julie has this fantastic, um, this fantastic talent for finding the, the, the spark or the hinge of a story. So when you, when you listen to episodes of Stuff of Life, if you like this show, you'll love that show. The same applies to, uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Absolutely. And just so you guys know, um, it is live in the iTunes store already and you can go and pre-subscribe if you want to. There is sort of like a little t- a trailer, kind of a teaser in there right now. Um, pretty short, but then on Monday coming up, we're going to launch, uh, what we're going to call episode zero, which will be sort of a more like a four or five minute, just kind of rundown about how the show works. But I'll go ahead and give you the heads up here. What we're doing is we're going to have the show come out every week. Um, you're going to have it start. The first episode is going to be about 30, 40 minute episode. Um, and then after that there will be like maybe a half as long episode that's a little lighter but sort of a companion piece to the topic that came the week before and we're going to continue that um indefinitely and uh full disclosure i was I, I was hoping it got cut i'm not sure how the final edit goes but at some point in the show i did freestyle it's true and it's glorious so go ahead and look for it in the iTunes store and uh, subscribe now. And so you can get that episode zero in your feed as soon as it drops. And then the first episode, which comes out on Wednesday. And we've also got some social media stuff going on on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's just facebook.com slash the stuff of life, but you can just search for it and definitely find it. Um, and uh, looking forward to hearing some feedback. Yes. Stuff of life. Stay tuned. You'll never, you never know who might pop up on that show. Uh, so there's, there's one other, one other thing, Joe, that we have to establish, which is that stuff to blow your mind. One of our peer podcasts, which you host, uh, has a lot of episodes that would be, uh, right up the alley of our audience, right? Yes, over on Stuff to Blow Your Mind, my co-hosts Robert Lamb, Christian Sager, and I, uh, we explore all kinds of topics. We're primarily a science podcast, mm. but we try to bring a lot of uh, diversity of subject matter in, so we end up talking a lot about mythology and religion, uh, uh, philosophy, history, uh, and, and we just try to keep it weird, to always surprise you with something strange about reality, because reality is pretty strange, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this one, who knows about the other one? Right, yeah, the uh, the, the the invisible spirit. Who knows what lies beyond? But if you want to check out uh, some some stuff they don't want you to know 
friendly topics on stuff to blow your mind. You might start with the episodes Christian and I did recently on the science of the X-Files from January of uh, 2016, or maybe you could look at the episodes Robert and I did last summer called Techno-Religion for the Masses, if you're interested in these religious themes, where we talked about intersections of technology and religion, uh, including some fascinating religions that border on some semi-Gnostic themes. Hmm. But that's not your only show. Yes, you can also listen to me. Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts on the show Forward Thinking with Jonathan Strickland and Lauren Vogelbaum, where we talk about future technology. So if that's your thing, you can find me there, too. And you can find Joe on uh, The Stuff of Life. Yes, that's right. Our man Joe is popping up left and right in the podcast world, and it's always a pleasure when our paths intersect. They have a demonic copy of me that they use for half of this stuff. You know, I get some of the same accusations. We're having a moment right now. Yeah, accusations. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what we'll, that's what we'll call them. Break accusations. The circle. Break the circle. Let's and talk. You, you, you were biting on that baby. I saw it happen. Look, you can't go around. Be it, What are you, the king of babies? You're in charge of all the babies? To be fair, Noel, we did let that baby get way too close. Guys, guys, let's remember that the audience is listening right now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you would like to learn more about Gnosticism, you can check out our uh, video series. You can uh, send us an email because we have a lot of stuff in the course of this that, as Joe said, we couldn't get to at this time. But who knows? We might return to explore more early Christianity. If you want to talk to us directly, you can tweet to us. You can join our Facebook group. Every like gets us a little bit further away from being fired. So <laughs> check out conspiracy stuff on both of those, uh, both of those formats. Uh, if you want to hear every podcast we've ever, ever done, uh, including uh, our earlier work with uh, Joe over here, then you can visit our website. StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com The best and longest URL in the history of mankind and this well, I was going to say Realm, but that's fine. You should go there, check out all that stuff. And if you don't want to do any of that, or you want to do some of it but not all of it, whatever, we're good with any of it. You can send an email to conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 